You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 12-17. to 17. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the world of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry. A very good morning, everyone. Uh, The Lord bless you. Uh, Warm welcome again to our new members in our church in Agape. Welcome, welcome. Um, And also for those of you who are at home, uh, warm warm welcome to you as well. Now, if this is your first time joining us, uh, a special welcome to you also. Uh, We would love to get connected with you. So please, uh, there is a QR code uh, here on below me somewhere. And uh, for those of you who are here presently in the service, uh, you would have received uh, a card as well. Uh, So would you fill in, uh, would you scan the QR code and fill in the form that it will lead you to uh, and then receive a free book of your choice as well. Well, we are now in the second half of our sermon series from 1 John. We've been looking at Christian fellowship and what's so special about it. Uh, and I hope that through the sermon so far, you've come to realize that Christian fellowship is truly special. Um, and at the same time, I hope that your enjoyment of Christian fellowship, uh, both with God and with one another, has also been taken to the next level. Well, today, I want to help us to come to a clarity of how Christian fellowship is so different and so distinct from worldly fellowship. If you've been a Christian long enough, uh, you know, you would realize that there are a lot of gray areas to deal with as Christians, right? So these, are, these gray area issues are, are things that the Bible doesn't explicitly say um, anything about. So for example... Uh, what music should you listen to? What kind of, you know, how should you dress up? Uh, who should you vote for? Should we go to the doctors when we are unwell? Right? Questions like these. Now, how should we deal with such gray area issues? Right? Since the Bible doesn't explicitly say anything on these issues, do we simply compromise and follow the way of the world? Right? Just simply do what everyone else is doing? Or do we isolate ourselves from the world, you know, rigidly clinging to our Christian traditions because we're afraid that we might end up becoming like the world? Now, as we struggle with gray area issues, we are often trying to find that balance, trying to find that tension between holy separation from the world and yet at the same time recognizing and receiving the common grace that God works even through the non-Christians in the world around us. Now, if you've been following John so far, John is a person, however, of extremes, right? To him, it's always either this or it's that. 
right? So it's either triangular Christian fellowship or it's some other two-way fellowship. It's either the historic gospel or it's a man-made gospel. Uh, it's either walking with God in the light or it's walking in darkness, right? There's no in-between. There are no gray areas for John. And so if John were here today, you know, perhaps he would look at our many gray area debates and he would just shake his head and he would tell us, guys, you are overthinking things. To John, you see, behind every gray area issue is a choice we need to make between Christian fellowship and worldly fellowship. Now, whenever we come to a gray area issue, we, we will need to make a choice. Christian fellowship or worldly fellowship, it will be one or the other. So in today's passage, John will help us to understand uh, the nature of each fellowship, the pursuit of each fellowship, and also the outcome of each fellowship. So let's look at the first part, the nature of each fellowship. Now in the first half of today's passage, you know, John seems to address different groups of people. Right? So he says uh, in verses 12 to 13, I am writing to you, little children. And then he says, I'm writing to you, young men. Uh, sorry, writing to you, fathers. And then he says, I'm writing to you, young men. Right? And then he mentions all three groups again in verses 13 and 14. Now, who are these people? Who is John addressing? If you remember from last week, 1 John chapter 2, John addressed uh, a group of people as his little children. And John, you see, out of his great pastoral love, was referring to everyone in his church, whether young or old, male, female, uh, whoever. You know, they are his little children. And so when John says little children, he's speaking to all Christians. Now, how about the fathers? Who are the fathers? Now, I don't think that John is literally thinking of biological fathers, like you no know, men who have children. Right? If you look at this passage from 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father and older women as mothers. So when John uses the term fathers, he is likely addressing the older men and women in the churches. So John is treating them with honor. And John says to these older Christians, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And again, he says that one more time. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, these older folks, you know, they had likely converted to Christianity from the Jewish faith. All right? So the thing is, they knew Yahweh. They knew the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, the one who called Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, later King David, and he called them all into covenant with himself. They knew the great God who defeated the gods of Egypt and the military might of Egypt to deliver his people out of slavery and into the promised land. They knew the God who is from the beginning. And somewhere along the way, you know, these older folks, they had gotten to hear the gospel and they had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps they had witnessed Jesus Christ in action on the earth. Perhaps they had seen him, seen him dying on the cross. But whatever it was, their faith in Christ was built upon their faith in the God who is from the beginning. So these are the fathers that John is referring to. And we come to the final group, the young men that John refers to. And these are the men and women who are younger in age. And to these younger folks, John says in verses 13 and 14, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, 
and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, John praises these young men for their strength. And we can imagine, and many times, uh, the energy and the enthusiasm of young men and young women. But their biological youthfulness is also coupled with their spiritual youthfulness. Now, you see, Christianity was so young. It was so young during John's time. And many of these young people had either converted from uh, Judaism or they had come from some Gentile pagan worship background. And, you know, you know I'm sure you've also noticed when, uh, when you have a new person who converts to Christianity and you see their zeal, you see their passion, you see their love. And these young men that John talks about are no different. They had zeal upon zeal and strength upon strength. Now, what does this all matter? And how does this all matter, rather? Now, clearly, John enjoys such diverse fellowship with the Christians in his churches. Young, old, Jew, Gentile, male, female. And where the older ones knew God, the younger ones were passionate for God. And all these people were walking in the light together as God's children. Now, in contrast, if you were to look at the second half of today's passage from verses 15 to 17, we will see that outside of the diverse church, there is a very monotonous, very singular body called the world, which John mentions six times. And John just has one category, one grouping for the people outside of the church who reject God. They were all part of what, God, uh, what John called the world. And in the world, there are no mothers, no fathers, no young men, no young women. But everyone who belongs to the world are children. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 says, By this is, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So those who belong to the world are the children of Satan. Paul puts it another way in Ephesians 2. He says, People of the world are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And he's saying that those who belong to the world are born to bear the wrath and the anger of God. Now, this is what I want us to see. The nature of Christian fellowship is diversity with God, whereas the nature of worldly fellowship is uniformity against God. Now, if you look around you in Agape, do you realize that Agape is blessed with such diversity? The different age groups, different ethnicities, different nationalities, different experiences. And God has also blessed agape with different gifts, insight and wisdom, different cultural perspectives, uh, unique individual experiences. And there's, a, there's such a rich diversity here in the church. And so the thing is, when it comes to gray area issues, it's actually okay to disagree. It's actually okay to have different points of view. And it's also actually okay to debate and discuss and even to sound like we're having a quarrel because of things, uh, rather because of our rich diversity in our different points of view. But what's most important is that our diversity serves and magnifies God. And so for all our diversity, we must still decrease, but He must increase. But with the world, it's a completely different story altogether. With the world, it's about you increasing and God and everything else diminishing. 
Now, personally, I find how John focuses on various age groups, fathers and young men, I find it to be very touching. You know, we live in a young world, uh, sorry, we live in a world, not, not really young, uh, we live in a world where age is not honored, and the young men, the young men, as John would say, of our generation, you know, we are taught to heck care, you know, our parents, we are taught to roll our eyes at the wisdom and as the experiences of the elderly, we are taught to say, okay, boomer, right, to the fathers of this generation, and that's the world. Now, surely the church of Jesus Christ must show us a better way. And so I praise God. I think may God lead us to learn to rejoice at the amazing diversity of Christian fellowship. That's the first point. Let's move now to the second as we consider between uh, Christian fellowship or worldly fellowship. And this point two is the pursuit of each fellowship. So as I've said, uh, the nature of Christian fellowship is diversity in God, whereas the nature of worldly fellowship is uniformity against Him. And this is why John says in verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So John is saying it's either the Father or the world. It's one or the other. And the nature of each fellowship is mutually exclusive. You can't have it both ways. But now John takes us a bit deeper. Now what does it mean to be in fellowship with the world? What does it mean to be in fellowship with God? What is the pursuit, the goal, the drive, the desires, the affections that are close to the heart of each fellowship? Well, John tells us in verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, now, when John says, for all that is in the world, he means the substance, the sum total. Everything about worldly fellowship can be summarized with the following three pursuits. Firstly, the desires of the flesh. Now, these are the sinful cravings and appetites that dominate the world. It leads the world to champion indulgence instead of service, altruism instead of sacrifice, lust instead of love. Jumping from trendy social issue to trendy social issue instead of consistently enduring long-suffering labor for deep social change. Virtue signaling from the keyboard instead of getting out there to truly seek justice. This world champions tribalistic, I win, you lose self-righteousness instead of an impartial, you win, I win righteousness. And the holiness that Christians seek, I mean, that holds no water in the world. Because holiness is in direct conflict with the desires of the flesh. So that's the first pursuit. The second pursuit, the desires of the eyes. This lust of the eyes is what drove Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. It's, uh, the lust of the eyes drove King David to sleep with a married woman and then to cover up the affair with murder. Now the world celebrates the lust of the eyes. This is covetousness, lusting after things that you do not and perhaps cannot have. A couple of months ago, The Atlantic, which is uh, like an online newspaper kind of thing, they did an, an article about a trend among married women in the U.S. So these women, you know, they, they all came from stable, happy marriages. But they were all having affairs with the most unlikely men. Now, one woman who was being interviewed, she emphasized that she was very happily married but yet she was regularly sleeping with a truck driver. 
Now, why was she doing that? Why were these women doing such things? Well, because to this woman, the truck driver was something different from her husband. He provided her with something she felt she did not have and something she felt she was missing out on. And a similar desire that the study found uh, was what, uh, what drove so many of these women to explore and experiment uh, and, and to, to engage in such affairs. Now, you see, the desires of the eyes is more than just looking lustfully at others. You know, it's a, it's a non-stop game of I spy with my sinful eyes where you are constantly comparing yourself with others and ultimately, uh, you know, you're trying to get hold of what you think you're entitled to. So that's the second pursuit. The third pursuit is the pride of life. Now, this is boasting in your lifestyle, your possessions, your achievements, and ultimately, it's about boasting in your independence from God, that you don't need God, you've got it. Now, tra traditionally, the pride of life was about boasting a, a big house, a massive car, successful career, expensive gourmet diet, good-looking spouse, uh, well-behaved, academically excellent children, uh, regular, even regular religious attendance, whether in church, temple, wherever else, right? Nowadays, however, the pride of life is about boasting a minimalist, low-wastage lifestyle. It's about supporting public transport for the sake of the environment. Uh, it's about eating only non-processed, non-GMO, sugar-free, and the list goes on, those kinds of food. It's about having kids who are expressive and free to be themselves. Uh, it's about maintaining regular spiritual practice, whether through yoga, through meditation, cleansings, different kinds of mindfulness and things like that. Now, on the surface, these two lifestyles, they look so different. But at the heart of it, they are completely identical. There's pride, there's boastfulness, and there's godlessness. Now, this, this is what worldly fellowship is about at its core. right? There, and these are the three pursuits which drive worldly fellowship forward. Now, how about Christian fellowship? What makes us so different? Multiple times in verses 13 to 14, John says that the believers know God, that they know Him who is from the beginning, that they know the Father. And this knowing speaks of intimacy. You know, this is how a sheep knows and recognizes um, a shepherd's voice, even if there are a thousand voices calling out to it. It's how a shepherd can pick up a lost sheep in the ocean of other sheep. And this, is, this knowing is what a husband and wife share as they become one flesh. So the pursuit of Christian fellowship is intimacy. It's a closeness. It's a familiarity with God and with His people. And this is why in verse 16, John calls us to stay away from the three pursuits of the world. Because these three pursuits are not from the Father. And if these things are, are not from the Father, then these things will not lead us to the Father. So here's what I'm saying. The pursuit of worldly fellowship is indulgence and self-gratification. But the pursuit of Christian fellowship is intimacy and God-enjoyment. Now this is why John says we cannot both walk in light and darkness. We have to pick one. If you're walking in the light, you're walking with God. 
But if you want to join the world by walking in darkness, you're going to be marching against God. Right? You can't have it both ways. And so when dealing with gray area issues where there are no blacks and there's no black and white going on, it's so worth asking ourselves, now which approach will bring me deeper into Christian fellowship? Right? Which decision will bring me towards God as opposed to moving me away from Him? Now, one regular issue that comes up, gray area issue in some sense that comes up every now and then is uh, dating a non-Christian. So, can or not? Now, that is highly debated, right? Because, uh, you know, marrying a non-Christian is perhaps a clearer issue for, for most Christians. But the Bible doesn't say anything about dating, which is to be expected since that's a more a modern thing. But more importantly, the Bible doesn't forbid dating non-Christians. So if you were to take a very legalistic approach to this issue, you could say, you know what, the Bible doesn't say anything about this matter, so I can go ahead and I can do it. I just won't get married lah, unless you know, my girlfriend or boyfriend becomes a Christian. Now you could say that, but if you were to take a step back, you'd see that triangular Christian fellowship is heading in one direction, but worldly fellowship is going in a totally different direction direction. And so your decision on this gray area issue will have an impact on whether you draw nearer to God or move further away from Him. And then when you look at it from this perspective, this gray area issue suddenly becomes more clear-cut. It becomes more black and white. But even so, I mean even so, that decision isn't easy to make. Making the God word decision is so hard. And not all of us have such strong wills to say no to pursuing worldly fellowship. And I think this is where it is so important to make decisions in our triangular Christian fellowship with other Christians and with God and not by yourself and with your own you know, individual willpower. During my junior college years, uh, I found myself falling for a girl and she was not a Christian. Uh, it was a huge struggle for me because we were getting closer and closer and my hormones were raging and I was sure I was falling in love. But I knew, I knew that if I pursued her, I was probably going to lose my fellowship and my intimacy with God and probably also my fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Agape as well. Sorry, I'm just observing my dad sitting up and looking uh, with fresh attention at me, so I find that quite funny. Now, during uh, the weeks and months that I was trying to make sense of all of this, one fine day, this girl leans her head on my shoulder. <clears throat> I mean, I'm gone, right? KO already, lose already, cannot fight. Right? All thought of intimacy with God, you know, it flew out of the window because now I was having a taste of intimacy with this girl. And I was just seconds away from moving into that relationship with her when suddenly the most bizarre thing happened. Now, I want to clarify that my heart was completely captivated by her. All right? I, I really wanted that relationship. But just suddenly, there was this low voice that came out of me. And it just went like, Oi. I just went like, Oi. I can't even reach that, that note now, right? So it was like, almost like a low growl. And this girl, she heard it, and she just sighed. She got her head up, and she walked away. 
And that was the end of our romance. Now, as I, as I look back on that incident, <laughs> as I look back at that incident, now I know that it was not me. Right? At that moment, I wanted the relationship. You know, I was actually so frustrated and so confused when I saw her walking away. It wasn't me. But as I look back, I remember all the people who were praying for me. Right? My parents who prayed for me almost uh, every day. My mentor from the youth ministry who was praying regularly for me. Other folks from Agape who prayed for me every now and then. And their prayers surely had an impact. And at the same time, wasn't that the Holy Spirit himself who intervened? Right? Just as I was about to move away from God, he arose and claimed me. Now, I think this story gives us a glimpse into how triangular Christian fellowship works as we make those tough, gray area decisions. When we are faced with such issues, you know, we need to choose between Christian fellowship uh, with God and His people or fellowship with the world. And I want to encourage us, don't make those decisions alone. No, allow Agapians to come alongside you with perspective and with prayer and trust also in the love that the Father has for you. Trust in the power and the comfort of the Holy Spirit as you make such decisions. All right, that's the second point that we're looking at. Uh, let's move now to the final point as we consider between Christian fellowship or worldly fellowship. So point three, the outcome of each fellowship. So in the first part, we realize that the nature of Christian fellowship is diversity in God, whereas the nature of worldly fellowship is uniformity against Him. Then in part two, we were alerted to the three pursuits of worldly fellowship, and through that, we recognize that the pursuit of worldly fellowship is indulgence and self-gratification, but the pursuit of Christian fellowship is intimacy and God-enjoyment. Now we come to part three, the outcome of each fellowship. And here we look at uh, verse 17, and it says, and the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here John is giving us a reality check. The pursuits of worldly fellowship, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, uh, the pride of life, they are great. I mean, they are thrilling, you know, super short, but they are momentary. They are fleeting and they are unsustainable. Right? Imagine going for the most amazingly sinful buffet Okay, sinful use in a, in a food-related term. Huh? So sin, amazingly sinful buffet, and you know you're stuffing yourself, you're stuffing your face like crazy, right? Bowl after bowl, dish after dish, drink after drink. Now, how long can you keep going? 20 minutes? 30 minutes? An hour, two hours? How about a day? How about one week, non-stop, stuffing your face? How about a year? Now, within minutes, you're going to be stuffed, bloated, you're going to be feeling sickly, you're going to be disgusted with yourself. And that's a picture of fellowship with the world. It's short for a moment, but it's meaningless for a lifetime. In contrast, John says that whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, what does it mean by when it says the will of God, doing the will of God? I think today's passage points us to pursuing intimacy with God. It's about knowing the Father, about knowing Him who is from the beginning. It's about loving the Father. And this involves pursuing also holiness and righteousness. You remember uh, 1 John chapter 1, and he told, uh, John was telling us that we must walk in the light just as God is in the light. So intimacy with God 
also involves doing what is right in God's eyes. But doing the will of God is not just intimacy between me and God. Right? In 1 John 3.10, John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So doing the will of God must surely involve loving our brothers and our sisters in Christ as well. Right? Whether new members of Agape or more senior members of Agape. And John is saying that those who pursue triangular Christian fellowship will abide forever. And abiding forever means we will remain forever, living forever. And this should remind us of the eternal life we have in Jesus. But you see, eternal life and abiding forever is not just about quantity. Or it's not just about how many days and how many years you can go on living. Jesus says in John 17, And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, you have, whom you have sent. So eternal life is not just about quantity, it's also about quality, right? It's about knowing God and having that incredible intimacy with Him and His people. So let me make my point like this. Worldly fellowship is fleeting and faltering, but Christian fellowship is forever. Now, we know what it means to devote our time properly, right, to what matters in the long run. Whether it's time to study, time to work, time to, you know, for your marriage and things like that. We, we know how to do that. We know how to invest our finances properly so that we maximize our funds for the future, right? But do we know how to allocate our lives properly such that we are prepared for eternity? Now, every one of us has a choice to make every time we are faced with a decision, whether it's black and white decision, whether it's a gray area decision. The question is, will we pursue Christian fellowship with God and one another, or will we pursue worldly fellowship? But brothers and sisters, I want us all to make that decision with your eyes open, because the nature of Christian fellowship is diversity in God, and we must remember that the nature of worldly fellowship is uniformity against Him. And also remember that the pursuit of worldly fellowship is indulgence and self-gratification, but the pursuit of Christian fellowship is intimacy and God-enjoyment. And finally, remember that worldly fellowship is fleeting and faltering, but Christian fellowship is forever. Now, over this past one week or so, I've had the privilege of seeing the huge disparity between Christian fellowship and worldly fellowship. On 7 August, I came across a Straits Times article on Facebook. And in this article, the journalist was calling for the authorities to go beyond the current differentiated measures and to impose harsh penalties against those who were unvaccinated by choice. When I later scrolled down to the comment section, wow, I mean, there was a bloodfest going on. There was a war raging between two camps. There was a much larger camp that clearly supported the idea of penalizing the unvaccinated and they, they agreed with the, the journalist and the author. And then there was a smaller camp that clearly didn't. There was name-calling, there was mocking, uh, there were threats, ultimatums were made, kind of like prophecies were declared, and the hostility and the hatred is, wow, I mean, it's just shocking. 
Three days later, I'm in a meeting with the church board and the elders. And this, was a, this is, uh, is a meeting to plan the next steps for Agape Baptist Church. Now, during such a season like this, you know, when you're making plans for the future, there's just no way to avoid the vaccination issue, right? There's, there's just absolutely no way. You've got, to, you've got to get into it. And so the elders and the board, uh, you know, we were there and we we're going to dig into this vaccination issue. There were nine of us at that meeting. It was an online meeting, just to assure everyone. And seven of us were vaccinated. Two of us were unvaccinated. So how did that meeting go? Was there name-calling? No. There was mutual submission. Was there mocking? No. There was unity. Were there threats, ultimatums, or hostility? No, there was order. And every person in the meeting clearly wanted to do what was right in God's eyes. One of the elders led us to consider what the scriptures might have to say on this vaccination issue. Concerns were raised, and these concerns were attended to, and prayers were lifted as well. But the part that really you know, kept, gripped my heart and blew my mind was when we took turns and each person shared a story of faith as, 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 as they wrestled with this vaccination issue how they had trusted God, how God had shaped and molded their hearts, how God had provided and protected them and their families, and also the burdens God had placed on their hearts to carry for the sake of His church. Now you see, though the world views the issue of vaccination as a black and white issue, in truth, it is a grey area issue. The Bible does not speak explicitly on the topic of vaccination especially about vaccination in a pandemic like this and in a nation like ours. And so where there, you know, where there seems to be war, every time the topic of vaccination comes up, whether in the papers, on social media, and perhaps even across dinner tables all around Singapore, yet in the church, the diversity of Christian fellowship allows for loving conversation to flourish. And even in our diversity, we look to decrease so that He might increase. And while the world looks to pursue you know, fleshly desires and the pride of life, our eyes are fixed by faith on enjoying intimacy with our great God and with one another. And so this vaccination issue, as well as with all other gray area issues, you know, these things will fade away so quickly. But the people of God, the will of God, the glory of the Lord will endure forever. And so no matter what the issue, no matter what the controversy, we are God's little children. And as fellow brothers and sisters, no matter how much we may disagree, we must remind one another to rejoice, as verse 12 says, because our sins are forgiven for the sake of God's great name. No matter how intense our debates may become, we must remind one another as God's little children to rejoice as what verse 13 says, because we know the Father. Would you join your hearts with mine and let's come before our Father in prayer. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg